KB around the world and thank you for your company on truth2u.org. That's truth number two, letteru.org. Joining me this hour is one of the world's foremost authorities on missionaries, cults, and the Jewish community. He is the director of Jews. He's the director of education and he's the director of Jews. (laughs) (laughs) I am the king of the forest. (laughs) He's the director of education and counseling for Jews for Judaism Canada. The website, of course, is jewsforjudaism.ca. Jewsforjudaism.ca. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Michael Skoback. So great to be here again with you, Jono. Always wonderful to have you, my friend. We are uh, continuing on in our series of uh, investigating the supposed 365 prophecies, messianic prophecies uh, of Jesus in the Tanakh fulfilled by him in the New Testament. Supposedly, this is uh, what the list claims, one for every single day of the year. 365 of them, and we're up to number 88. We're hammering along. Sounds like one of these uh, old-time rock and roll stations where you're going through the top 10 countdown. <laughs> the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> it is a countdown, I suppose it, it is. is. And so it is. We're, uh, we're ascending in order, and we're up to 88. Now, of course, last week we did Psalm 22, which is certainly on the short list. If, you, if one was to have a short list, uh, that is going to be on it. So if you missed that program, dear friends, go back and find it. You'll see it on the website, truthtoyou.org. But here we are, starting in a very, very uh, well-known psalm, Rabbi. We're in Psalm 23, and uh, in number 88, it says, Psalm 23, verse 1. Now remember, listeners, these are supposedly uh, messianic prophecies in the Tanakh fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. Psalm 23, verse 1, I am the good shepherd, it says on the list, and that corresponds to John 10, 11. Interestingly, in Psalm 23, verse 1, of course, uh, Rabbi Skobak, it is, uh, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's, it's the tetragrammaton there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's such a beautiful psalm. It's quite And amazing. it goes on. It's beautiful. Can I read it? It's only short. It says, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, that's not to say, <laughs> it reminds me of a story. My mother used to say, you know, in Sunday school at church, she could never understand why they would get her to say, the Lord is my, my shepherd that I shall not want. I do want him. Why don't I want him? And never, never made sense. But of course, <laughs> what it's saying is I shall, <laughs> I shall not be in need, right? I shall, there is, I shall not, I, I will lack nothing. Exactly. I guess is what it says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of, of righteousness for his name's sake, his name. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before, uh, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is just a beautiful psalm. And that apparently, uh, Michael, corresponds to John chapter 10, verse 11, where you have Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But I'm a little bit confused because nowhere in, in Psalm chapter 23 does it say, the Lord is my shepherd. He gives his life for me. There's, there's nothing there about that. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, uh, just the simple reading of this chapter um, the shepherd here is is God, is the is the mm. Almighty, is the creator of the universe, yep. and not one of His created beings. 
Um, so again, the, the the presupposition here of the Christian interpretation is that Jesus is God, and that any verse in the Tanakh that speaks about God would equally be speaking about Jesus. Um, hmm. Again, that's their presupposition, it's their assertion. The problem they have here is that they're trying to prove this from the Bible. And again, this verse would certainly not prove something that they're simply asserting. Um, uh, you know, th- this this chapter of Psalms probably is one of the most well-known in the entire book of Psalms. And on the Sabbath, the custom is that in many synagogues, as the Sabbath is coming to a close, it- it's sung three times. We sing it um, once, and then we sing it again, and we sing it a third time. Mm. And uh, there's really a, a beautiful story they tell about, I guess, a time in history when people didn't have other forms of entertainment, and they would go to poetry readings. <laughs> and nice. uh, and so, th- this takes place in England, and they had uh, all these gentlemen that were getting up to read these poems, and you know everyone was doing beautifully, and one young man got up to read the 23rd Psalm. And he read it very, very powerfully and beautifully, and it looked like he was going to walk away with the prize for the evening. And then the the moderator, I, I suppose, said, "Anyone else want to, you know, to do a reading?" And an old Jewish fellow in the back gets up, and he says in, in a Yiddish accent, "He says, I'd like to try and read something." And everyone was sort of smirking, and they were assuming, you know, how is this old fellow going to, you know, even compete? And he read, uh, recited this Psalm 23, and uh, there wasn't there wasn't a dry eye in the in in the room. People were weeping, mm. and uh, you know this young man who had been you know the front runner was brokenhearted. He realized that uh, he wasn't going to win the contest, and uh, you know the old man who literally transformed the entire room. Uh, he was given the prize. And mm. afterward, the old fellow went over to the young man and he says, the older fellow said, you know, Sonny, you read this psalm beautifully. You really did. Um, you know, you put a lot of feeling into it and you read it with a lot of passion and emotion. But I want you to understand uh, there's one difference between you and I. And he says to the young fellow, he says, I know the shepherd. You know, it, it's such a powerful and beautiful um, psalm that really, it devotes us really to focusing on the Almighty, on the Creator. And it's really one of the sad things about the way this psalm is uh, co-opted and mm. is, uh, you know, is all of a sudden transformed into something that's speaking about someone other than the Creator. Um, and again, you know, people have a right to their beliefs and their interpretations, but I think what uh, someone doesn't have a right to do is to just simply insist that, you know, know that th- this is really speaking about, uh, you know, a human being who walked the planet mm-hmm. Earth when it's very clear that the shepherd here is the Almighty. I, I would like to add, uh, and I'd be interested in your opinion, if Yeshua indeed spoke these words that are recorded in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, I don't believe that he, what he was saying in his mind is that I am the good shepherd that's spoken about in Psalm 23. I am God. I, I really don't believe that that's what he was saying. It's, it makes a lot of sense that, of course, he would 
quote a lot of scripture and uh, borrow from a lot of scripture, I don't believe that he would be saying, I am God, I am the creator, I am the good shepherd, therefore, that's spoken about in Psalm 23. I don't think that would have been his intention here in John 10. Well, it's funny because the psalm doesn't really speak about um, the shepherd being good. Well, that's the point. That, that's, that's inserted here. And, mm. you know, I think that, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's never really clear when Jesus is actually speaking or when words are put into his mouth later on by the gospel writers. But mm. <clears throat> I think I would agree with you that I think that, uh, you know, based upon so many things um, that even Yeshua himself says, um, you know, it, it, it's very, very difficult to um, make a clear case for the idea that he thought he was God. I think that it's that it, it's pretty clear that he didn't claim to be God. And it's also pretty clear that, that none of his followers understood him to be saying that because we never see one instance where any of the apostles or his followers pray to him or worship him or treat him as God. Mm. Um, so it's very unlikely that he would have meant that if he, if he said, I am a good shepherd, meaning that any leader tries to be the, the shepherd of their flock. And so, mm. although it's not a very humble thing to say. Um, and, yet, and yet, it's not an uncommon uh, uh, allegory, if you like, because we do see in, in the Tanakh a number of times uh, the, the, the poetic picture painted about the good shepherd and the bad shepherd. And, for example, in uh, Zechariah, we read, we'll be getting there, I'm sure. So it's interesting, and uh, it reminds me when you when you emphasised uh, when you highlighted that word "good." Of course, uh, he he was approached once and and uh, referred to as good, and Yeshua said to him, "Why do you call me good? There is none good but God." Excellent point. That's right. There it is. Moving on, Psalm twenty four, verse three, and this is of course number eighty nine. Psalm twenty four, verse three. This is apparently on the on the list eighty nine. His exaltation predicted. Now, before I go further, if something is predicted, does it deserve to be given the title of prophecy? Is a prediction and a prophecy the same thing? Well, it, it's a it's a misnomer um, about what prophecy is. I mean, people often. Um, assume that that's exactly what prophecy is. They assume prophecy means you're making a prediction. Um, the, the more accurate meaning of the word prophecy is that you're speaking on behalf of the Almighty. That's what a prophet is. You know, in the, in the beginning of the book of Exodus, God says to Moses, who was, you know, very reluctant to assume the, the job, he, one of the complaints Moses had was that I don't speak well. I'm kaved lashon, kaved peh. Mm -hmm. And God says to Moses, don't worry, Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You know, he didn't mean to say that Aaron's going to be the, the, you know, the, the forecaster and the person that makes predictions. It meant that Aaron, your brother, will be your spokesperson. He'll your speak. Spokesperson. Mm. So, yeah. I think that that's really what prophecy is. And most prophecy was not really uh, predicting the future. Actually, most prophecy was describing the present because the prophets mm. came to... Uh, to reprove the Jewish people and to describe mm -hmm. their present condition. The, I think one of the reasons that people assume that prophecy is prediction is because very frequently the prophets would uh, castigate the Jewish people and say, and if you don't get your act together, you know, you're going to get it. And so mm -hmm. the, 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 the reproof often came with a, a warning of what's going to happen if you don't straighten out. And I think that might be one of the reasons why you know, people make this quick assumption that prophecy is prediction. 
Um, but that's not the case. That's not the case. So Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Now, I'm pretty sure that's talking of the, of the temple, right? Uh, and yet that corresponds, according to this list, to, uh, to Acts chapter 1, verse 11. It says, uh, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up uh, from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So it takes the uh, the temple and uh, the hill of the Lord and puts it into a spiritual uh, heavenly um, destination. There's, it also corresponds, it, this list claims it corresponds to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. We were talking about this passage recently with Tobias Singer, uh, the Carmen Christi, he said it's called, uh, Philippians 2, 9. Therefore God has also highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name. What do you make of it? Well, this is, uh, again, you know, it's so interesting that, you know, uh, Christians tend to um, say that the people, especially Jewish people, who don't see Yeshua in the scriptures are blind, that we just are spiritually blind and we, you know, we don't see what's clearly written in scripture. And uh, to me, I would flip it around and say that really, um, you know, there's a, a mirage here, almost like a Jesus mirage, you know, the person that's starving and thirsty and is in the desert and they see what mm. appears to be water, you know, but you get up close to it and you see there's no water there. Uh, and, that's a really good analogy. Yeah. And that's, I think, that's what happens here. I think that, you know, you have all of these, we've gone through almost, a, you know, 90 passages already. And I think that mm. maybe, you know, three or four of them have been what you could call messianic. And mm. uh, so this passage here that we just read in Psalm 24, it's not a prophecy, especially it's not a prophecy in the sense that you mentioned just recently here, that it's not predicting anything, it's not forecasting anything, it's not describing uh, the Messiah, it's not giving us any uh, information to help us identify the Messiah. It's mm. basically, it's a passage here that speaks about all righteous people who are able to come close to God, and it mm. describes their characteristics, their nature. Um, it does. Yeah, so I think that there's much done here about nothing. And and just, just to um, clarify that, it, it, it goes on to say, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And uh, so there it is. That's what it goes on to say. It's a beautiful psalm, the whole chapter. Number uh, number 90, <laughs> Psalm 27, verse 12. It says, accused by false witnesses. Now, what we have in 27, 12, it says, do not deliver me uh, to, the, this is the Psalm of David, I'm pretty sure, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and uh, such as breathe out violence. We go to uh, the corresponding verses for that on the list, Matthew 26, verses 60 to 61. Uh, but at least two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. That's an interesting thing, because if I recall correctly, Jesus did actually say that. I think and yet well, these people are refer referred to as false witnesses. Uh, I think that, that in the Gospels, though, they, the false witnesses are not necessarily um, accusing him of that, but I think there are other accusations that are brought um, this may have been one of the accusations, 
Uh-huh. One, one out of a few. Well, Mark 14 verses 57 to 58 is another one of the corresponding verses. It says, Then some rose up and bore a false witness against him, saying, uh, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Okay. Again, you know, this is, just, this is a, a passage in the book of Psalms that is customarily recited for the entire month before the Jewish New Year. Um, hmm. Custom is that we, we say this psalm, um, it's actually, again, an extremely beautiful, beautiful psalm. It speaks about our desire to dwell in the house of the Lord and to really uh, to establish intimacy with God. Um, and again, you know, this, what I think I've, I've mentioned in the past is that if anyone would have read this psalm, you know, 10 years before the advent of Christianity, they would not have walked away assuming it was describing the Messiah or was giving us any critical information about the Messiah or how to identify the Messiah. Um, So it's basically, this has been, uh, you know, transformed into a messianic prophecy um, when it really isn't. And, you know, there are things in this psalm that are hard to understand if we um, assume that from a Christian perspective, it's really speaking about Jesus. For example, um, why would Jesus, who they claim is a part of the Godhead, is the the second person of the Trinity, why would God, he have to ask God to teach me your ways, lead me in the path of integrity? Um, Very good point. So, so it's, 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 you know, in many of these Psalms where the proof texting basically lifts a few words, uh, you know, out of context and tries to apply it to Jesus, the problem they will run into, as we'll see tonight in the future weeks, is that if you read carefully the rest of the psalm, uh, it's very uncomfortable for Christians to apply the rest of the psalm to Jesus as well. Mm, Fair enough. That brings us to number 91, uh, Psalm 30, verse 3. Uh, it says on the list, his resurrection predicted. We have another prediction, and uh, the corresponding verse is Acts 2, 32. The, uh, the psalm, Psalm 30, verse 3, says, O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pits. Uh, Acts 2.32 simply says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. A funny thing about this, when, when you look at the, uh, again, the entirety of the, of the chapter, uh, Psalm 30, it, it, if you look at verse 9, uh, Michael, it says, Psalm 30, verse 9, it says, What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? I mean, I don't think that things that the uh, the New Testament writers would have Jesus say kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Because uh, the, from their purpose, there's tremendous profit in his blood. An enormous amount of profit. Yes, uh, indeed. <laughs> the, 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 the real problem here, again, this is the, the, the ongoing problem, is that uh, th- this is not a messianic prophecy. And more importantly, there's nothing about a resurrection in this psalm. Um, David here is basically not predicting that he's going to be resurrected. The expression here is really one of gratitude to God from being rescued from death. Mm-hmm. And the, the context of the psalm makes this very clear. Also, if you look at Psalm 86, verse 13, it uses the exact same expression here, not as uh, a resurrection, but basically being saved from death. And what I found really interesting is that the NIV Study Bible, which is an extremely conservative uh, Christian commentary to the Bible, mm-hmm. which you know sees Jesus everywhere, um, mm. doesn't take this 
uh, verse as a messianic prophecy and actually says that it's a figurative expression of a person on the brink of death um, experiencing uh, the, the, the brink of death and mm. so being redeemed from it. So even here, uh, you know, a, a very, very staunchly conservative Christian commentary to the Bible um, mentions nothing in this verse about uh, resurrection or about it being messianic. They don't. They don't make the connection. Now it's interesting you should say that uh, because I, of course, am using the uh, the New King James uh, version, Nelson's New King James Study Bible, which is highly Christological. And uh, I have noticed that uh, throughout this list, and I haven't I haven't mentioned uh, this, but throughout this list, there are a whole lot of uh, uh, claims on the list which uh, has absolutely no, um, or, or my this particular translation, the New King James, makes no connection in the cross references, in the study notes, uh, anything like that. So it, it really, I don't know that. In fact, I think we can safely say that most. Um, uh, certainly, New Testament scholars would not uh, take this list as a go-to list uh, for their apologetic endeavors. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know, as we said, I think that most people would not take this kind of list seriously. I think that you know, in my in my personal experience, when I speak with people who are serious Christians, and I ask them, you know, just between two people, you know, how many passages in the in the Tanakh do you really think are genuine messianic prophecies, usually most people will tell me, you know, 10 or 15. Mm. Um, so it goes quickly down from 365 to, you know, a handful. Mm. Um, you know. And yet there are people that take this very, very seriously. Now, I've found this list on a number of websites, and I will say uh, thank you to, to Carmen Welker, truth to you, uh, critique Carmen Welker, uh, because since I discovered this, uh, this list on her website, she actually has it set out in such a way that it's easier to read and there's more space between each line and everything and I, I really find that uh, helpful. Uh, so I would, I would say to people if you'd like to see this list in its entirety uh, is a plug for Carmen Welker who certainly believes this to be true uh, and uh, clearly um, thinks that all of these uh, 365, in fact as she says almost 400 <laughs> 365 um, she really does believe them. And so uh, that website, I'll just tell everyone, therefinersfire.org forward slash messianic underscore prophecies is where you'll find it. And I think that's the, it's, it's set out in uh, probably the easiest to read way that I've found. But I have seen it on quite a number of different websites. And I was using another one prior to uh, come and coming on the scene and critiquing truth to you, which is fine. Um, and I think the appeal really is, is that if you're going to have, if you're going to say, you know, over 300, why not 365? There's 365 days in a year. And that gives it a sort of a special, mysterious, superstitious sort of uh, number to it, as if there's some sort of purpose to that, as I often say, one for every day of the year. Nevertheless, we move on. And, and the next, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four are, um, they're all in, in Psalm 31, Yes. Uh, number 92, Psalm 31, verse 5, it says, actually, you know what? Maybe I should read Psalm 31. What do you think? Go for it. I think I will. Uh, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock, my refuge, a fortress to, uh, of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake. Lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. 
Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated, I have hated. We spoke about that recently, and uh, Jason and I did a program on the Psalms of hate. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul uh, in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of my enemy. You have set my feet on a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. I am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side, every side while they take counsel together against me. They scheme to take my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of the enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord. For I called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent, uh, insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. In the presence of the sons of men, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence uh, from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I have said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard my voice, uh, the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you, Oh, love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, uh, and he shall strengthen your heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. Wow. <laughs> How good is it? Yeah. Now, returning to this list, number 92, Psalm 31, verse 5, in, it says, uh, Into my thy hands I commit my spirit. Now, obviously, in this instance, when you read this, uh, this psalm, um, David is not about to expire and breathe his last and die, but it is quoted. Uh, in fact, Jesus quotes it uh, on the, upon the cross, Luke twenty three forty six. Uh, it says, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Again, not a messianic prophecy. We have uh, Yeshua quoting from Scripture. Is that fair? Yeah, and also it, it, it may not be a real accurate translation. You know, um, the, the Hebrew really has more of a sense of um, into your hands, God, I entrust my spirit. And um, it's not really an expression of someone about to die and, and just expressing their, uh, their recognition of it, the end of life. But really, mm. the, the, the context of this psalm is really um, any person expressing their trust in God. And mm. um, when you think about it, you know, if it really were a messianic prophecy, what's the point? Meaning, is the point here that God is telling us that one of the ways we'll be able to recognize who the Messiah is, is that he's going to just say these words. 
Um, so it's it's sort of a, it really leads us to question, you know, what what does it mean when we put on this list a passage from the scriptures and we say it's a messianic prophecy? It mm. seems that what the point is is that God, in His great love for us, provided us with pieces of evidence and clues to be able to identify the Messiah. Um, you know, almost like you know, you, you have a wanted poster up of someone, and you want to be able to mm. identify the criminal. So God is giving us in the Bible ways of being very clear. We know who the Messiah is, and I would just wonder, like, what is the point here? Is the the clue here that you know th- these are magic words that the Messiah is going to have to say? Um, you know, it, it's just it's bizarre in terms of. It is, it is bizarre. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, Psalm 31, verse 11. Now, of course, now this is a really interesting uh, verse, isn't it? Because it says that I'm a reproacher among all my enemies. Well, that's no surprise. But especially among my neighbors, and I am repulsive to my acquaintances, those who see me outside flee from me. I mean, has he got lice? I mean, what, what is the reason why uh, David is in this situation? Do we know um, what events in his life this, this psalm corresponds to? Well, you know, David, we know, didn't always have people hating him for good reasons. Often, you know, the, the psalms make it clear, and even in passages in Samuel, that uh, there weren't good reasons for hating him. Um, some of them were quite petty or just mm-hmm. uh, imagined or just not even real, but... Um, you know, one of the things that we see in this psalm, and I think it's often distorted in Christian translations, but in verse 11, um, it would be verse 12 in a Jewish translation, mm-hmm. um, David here speaks about his iniquity. Uh, my life is spent in sorrow, my years in sighing because of my iniquity. My mm. strength has failed, my bones have been wasted away. So David here is really um, confessing to his failures and his iniquity, and I think it's for that reason that um, it becomes difficult for Christians to simply just um, appropriate this psalm, because I think, again, it's not really proper to just uh, surgically extract, you know, the few uh, phrases. phrases here and there. Yeah, yeah, and to ignore the fact that this is a psalm about someone who's confessing that they're a sinner. Mm. Um, and actually, it's interesting, it's in the verse just prior to the one that's being quoted here. Um, so it could be, I mean, at least in the context of this psalm, that you know p- people are, are sort of moving away from him because uh, they see in him someone that's got failures, moral failures. Um, right. So I think that's going to be, you'll see, I think we'll both see in the coming weeks that this is going to be a, a, a common problem because these are mostly psalms about David. And in his psalms, David does express his trust in God and his faith in God, but he often mm. is honest to confess his sins and his failures. And, you know, if Christians want to superimpose Jesus upon these Psalms, they have to be honest and they have to appropriate the entire passage. They just can't... Uh, That's right. R- remove That's exactly right. So read it in context rather than just take the uh, one or two verses. And, and as you say, uh, it would appear then that uh, because of his iniquity, it would appear that those iniquities are quite public and people are um, quite aware of it. And when they see him, they move away from him. Well, you can, uh, you can assume, right, the whole scandal with Uriah and Bathsheba mm, was not just sure. uh, a moral failure, but it must have been a public scandal. And yeah. he must have suffered not just from 
you know, his relationship with God. But you can imagine, you know, people that would want to mock someone, you know, mm. would, would hold this up to David and, and, you know, definitely not let him live it down so quickly. Absolutely, yeah. And so the uh, the corresponding verse uh, for that one is Mark fourteen fifty. Uh, it simply says, and then they all forsook him and fled. So uh, because Jesus had a, uh, that is recorded that he had a similar experience that people fled away from him, therefore this list would claim that that is a messianic prophecy. Moving on to uh, number, where now, where are we? We're on number 94, 94, 3113, they took counsel to put him to death. Wow. Uh, that, it says, uh, for I hear the slander of, of many fears on every side, while they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take my life, uh, take away my life. Corresponding verse in this list, uh, John eleven fifty three. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. It's interesting, you know, I, I have, uh, um, from years ago, when I was living in the United States, I bought uh, a New American Standard open Bible. Which actually, it's a really, really wonderful study Bible. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they have is uh, they put a black star next to each messianic prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures. And oh, really? They're very liberal with these black stars. I mean, they're all over the place. But oh, okay. I, I checked here, and I found it interesting that in my New American Standard Bible, uh, open Bible, uh, study Bible, they didn't have a star on this verse in Psalms. Um, and I also checked, uh, I, I've been interested now in checking with Christian commentaries to the Psalms to see, you know, if people who are conservative evangelical Christians also in their study of these Psalms see them as messianic. And I, I mm. checked into the commentary of John MacArthur in his study Bible. Oh, sure. Yeah. Very, very, you know, famous today, conservative, uh, very ultra-conservative uh, hmm. Protestant scholar, and he also, in his commentary to this psalm, doesn't uh, present it as a messianic psalm or a messianic prophecy. Um, so I, I think that the, I'm trying to make a point that it's not simply, um, you know, the, the um, perspective of someone who might be cynical or skeptical, uh, or just a non-Christian believer who would look at these psalms and say. They're not really messianic prophecies. I think that, you know, if you go through, um, you know, Christian scholars themselves, even conservative evangelicals, they're also, you know, ready to admit that, you know, look in context, and especially if you were to read these Psalms before the advent of Christianity, these would not have Hmm. been seen as messianic prophecies. Now, that reminds me, by the way, you might recall uh, near the uh, beginning of (laughs) of this series, uh, remember I said to you that I was uh, sent a message in my Facebook um, uh, account that someone sent a message saying that if I registered with uh, such, and, such and such a, a website, they would send me this Messianic Bible with all the 300-plus uh, prophecies of Jesus uh, fulfilled, um, highlighted and connected and all of that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. They'll send it. They'll, all I have to do is register and they'll send it free of charge. I thought that's too good to be true. Um, you were highly doubtful that I would ever receive it, <laughs> and you were you were uh, uh, you were quite right. Now I've, I still have had um, many many um, uh, emails, uh, each of which uh, asked for money, but I have seen no Bible. But what you're saying have faith, is that have faith, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'll persevere. A lot of emails. I tell you what. 
uh, asking for money, but I, I still don't have the, the Bible. Anyway, you're, what you're saying is that the a New American Standard Open Bible, is that what it was called? Yes. Well, I think the Open Bible comes in a number of different translations. Oh, okay. Um, I, I'm not sure it's only the New American Standard version, but uh, that's I think I've seen it in the King James and in the New King James and... Um, yeah, but they they um, are very liberal in their application of these black stars to indicate messianic prophecies. Um, so it's interesting when they don't uh, apply the black star. They thought it was just a little bit too much of a stretch and they weren't willing to go there. Number 95, uh, in also in Psalm 31. This is uh, Psalm 31, 14 and 15. And it says... But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Uh, It says on this list that that um, was fulfilled because he trusted in God. Let him deliver him. Oh, I see. This is what it says in in Matthew 27, verse 43. It says, uh, the corresponding verse, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. So, this is the people uh, standing before the cross waiting to see if God will actually deliver him from uh, from the crucifixion. Yeah, these are the, this, this is allegedly said by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. I think even the two robbers that are on either side of him, uh, they're all saying this, you know, that if, that if this, he really trusted in God, let God deliver him. Um, but the, the, that's not the quote from Psalms. That's the quote from Matthew. Mm. Um, in Psalms, basically what David is saying is, as for me, in you I have trusted Adonai, meaning that, that David is basically expressing his trust in, in God. And, and the truth is that, again, this psalm really speaks of anyone that has trust in God. Um, so it's not really a messianic prophecy. It's a, uh, a spiritual passage in the Bible which describes David or anyone else who has this kind of relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Now, the next one is one of your favorites. We've actually done this before, but it might be worth you uh, recapping because uh, for those who have just tuned in and they haven't uh, listened from the beginning, uh, number 96, Psalm 34, verse 20, it says, uh, he guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. According to this list, uh, 96, it says, not one of his, uh, not one of his bones were broken, corresponds to John 19, 31 to 36, uh, it says, uh, therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross uh, on the Sabbath, but for that Sabbath was a high Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately uh, blood and water came out. And he who has seen these things and is true and so on and so forth. Verse 36, uh, for these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Rabbi Michael Skoback. Well, you know, again, uh, I think it's important to keep on pointing out that this passage in Psalms is not a messianic prophecy. And uh, I think, you know, in, in the almost 100 passages we've studied so far, there no more than three or four have been messianic prophecies. This is, again, a, a passage that really just speaks about God's protection of the righteous. Um, so, in here it would be David that God protects, and really anyone that's righteous, God protects. What's ironic is that, you know, this is a passage in Psalms which speaks about 
God's protection of the righteous, but Jesus was not really protected in here in this chapter. Um, he, he perishes. We see in, in this particular chapter of Psalms that um, that David is really speaking about his trust in God that he would be rescued. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he would, not that he's recognizing that he's going to perish. Um, mm-hmm. We saw in Exodus twelve forty six and Numbers nine twelve. Uh, also, those are two different passages where this idea of no bone of the paschal lamb will be broken. Right. Um, it's interesting because here the list says not a bone of him, capital H, uh, none of, no bone of him will be broken. Mm. But the actual Hebrew really is uh, no bone of it will be mm. broken, meaning that the, the Hebrew doesn't personify the paschal lamb really as, an, as a person. You know, yeah. so the Bible, when it speaks about the requirement that none of its bones will be broken, doesn't really say none of his bones. And interesting also that what we see here is really a selective fulfillment of the laws of the Paschal sacrifice, meaning that mm. what the New Testament does is to take one law of the Paschal sacrifice that none of its bones shall be broken, but really ignores all the other laws. So, for example, um, in Exodus 12.8, we're told that the Paschal lamb had to be roasted in fire. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously wasn't something that happened to Jesus. And also, I think very ironic is that Exodus 12.48 says that no one who is uncircumcised can participate in the Paschal lamb. Meaning mm-hmm. that, that uh, you know, the, the New Testament doesn't seem to advocate circumcision. Um, I think in the book of Galatians, it says that, um, you know... It, it, if, if you are circumcised, then Christ will avail you nothing. Yeah, so it, it doesn't... It, we know, aside from those words in Galatians, we know that the followers of Paul in the New Testament since the earliest days didn't make it a point of circumcising their children. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, here, the scripture is very clear that if you're not circumcised, you've got no part of this Paschal Lamb. You're out of the, mm-hmm. out of the game. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting that the focus is entirely on not any of its bones being broken, but literally everything else about the laws of the Paschal Lamb are just simply ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, number 97, Psalm 35, verse 11, false witnesses rose up against him. So we've done the false witness thing. Now, we've got, this is 97 anyhow, and they uh, say that the corresponding verse is 20, uh, Matthew 26, verse 59, which says, Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Um, the psalm in question, it says, Psalm 35, 11, Fierce witnesses rise up that they may, uh, uh, they ask me things that I do not know. Yeah, again, again David's speaking about his life. Um, and again, it's not just my Johnsist perspective. Um, I consulted with, again, John MacArthur's study Bible and also Another uh, Bible I have here, the Holman Christian Standard Study Bible, ah, yeah. mm. which is a, one of the newer Christian study Bibles. And again, neither of them take this passage in Psalms as a messianic prophecy. Um, yeah. So There's nothing there. Uh, number 98, I reckon we can get to the end of the 90s. Number 98, Psalm 35, verse 19, he was hated without a cause. That corresponds to, that's what it says on the uh, on the list, corresponds to John 15, 25. And Psalm 35, 19 says, uh, let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully uh, my enemies. Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink 
with the eye who hate me without a cause. And John 15, 25 says, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without cause. Help me out. What's, what's going on here? Well, this is pretty simple and straightforward. You know, David here is speaking about his own life. Um, if you go back to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26, and he's describing how Shaul, Saul, pursued him, he says, but I was innocent, meaning that even though mm-hmm. I didn't sure. do anything wrong against Shaul, um, you know, I, I, there was no cause to hate me. I was hated and I was pursued. So, again, it's, this is not a messianic prophecy. Um, and, you know, the truth is that, uh, you know, when you just think about it, it wouldn't really be useful as a messianic prophecy anyway, because um, uh, if, if the Bible were to tell us that, you know, one of the ways you'll recognize the Messiah is that he'll be hated without cause um, and he'll be hated even though he's innocent, one of the problems is we don't always know as outsiders whether someone's innocent or not, meaning that, again, it's, it's an assumption that's being made mm-hmm. that a person is innocent and has done nothing wrong. But, mm-hmm. you know, behind closed doors, you don't know what they do. Um, and so for, for, for the Jewish people to be able to recognize someone as the Messiah, it wouldn't be a helpful piece of uh, evidence because, um, you know, how do we know whether someone is truly yeah. innocent. We can't. We, Very good point. Yeah, we're not, we're not able point. to do that. No, that's right. Now, one, one thing that I'm confused about, though, in John 15, 25, it says this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. Where, where is it written in the Torah? That's a good point. It's not in, in the Torah at all. Um, so I can't think of a place where that's... Uh, and, and just looking at the, uh, some of the, the cross-reference Bibles that I've got, I don't... If anyone knows where that is, put it in the comments, please, because I'd love to see that. Uh, quote, they hated me without a cause. Where in the Torah is that mentioned? Love to know. Yeah, it's, um, actually, it's in the Psalms several times about yeah. being hated without cause, but uh, it's nowhere in the Torah itself. It's nowhere in the Torah. Now, I've got some cross-references for Psalms, uh, including the one we just looked at, but, but uh, it doesn't... I want one from the Torah, as, as John fifteen twenty five claims. So, if anyone knows where that is, love to have that. Interesting that this, um, this list doesn't uh, include that. But number, number 91, <laughs> Psalm 30, number 99, sorry. This is the, I think we'll call it quits here, and we'll, we'll kick off next week with uh, number 100, uh, where it kicks the list off from the 40s, Psalm 40, and continues along in the 40s. This is the last in the 30s. Number 99, Psalm 3811, uh, on this list it says, uh, his friends stood afar off. And the corresponding verse for that is Luke 2349. Uh, Psalm 3811 says, uh, my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. Well, if someone had a plague, I would also stand aloof. <laughs> and, my, and my relatives stand afar off. Uh, it says uh, the corresponding verse in Luke twenty three forty nine. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. No plague. Yeah, this is a, a, again one of the sadder ones on the list. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so sad that even our friendly open Bible doesn't put a black star on this verse. Um, you know, even the, the, they've stretched so many passages to become messianic prophecies they couldn't find it in their conscience to put the black star here. Um, Again, it's a passage in the Bible dealing with speaking about David, and it's interesting that in this psalm, in two different places, the psalmist refers to himself as a sinner in verse 3 and in verse 18. 
So again, it, it just would not be the kind of passage if someone was honest. Uh, they would say, oh, this is clearly speaking about Yeshua because they don't really think that Yeshua was a sinner. Um, or at least some sort of messianic prophecy uh, at all. All right, so we end on a, on a fairly, um, as you say, a sad example in this list of 365 messianic prophecies, so-called, uh, in the Tanakh that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. Also, this list claims. Again, if you'd like to see the list in its entirety, thank you, Carmen Welker. You can find it there. Uh, at therefinersfire.org forward slash messianic underscore prophecies. Therefinersfire.org forward slash messianic underscore prophecies. Maybe I should put a link. I'll put a link there if you'd like to see it in its entirety. But we're going to be kicking off from number 100. Boy, we're getting through it. And, uh, but have faith, and it- have faith Jono. This, this, uh, these proof texts are going to become more compelling as we go through I them. want something more compelling. I mean, th- th- that, that that one, the ones we just went through didn't have the fireworks of Psalm 22. We, we had some fireworks there, and that was uh, that was certainly worth going through. But uh, stay tuned, listeners, because we're, we're going to be diligent. We're going to go through every single one of these, as sad as some of them may be. But <laughs> we're going to do it, aren't we, my friend? We're going to persevere. We're going to persevere again. Thank you, Michael Skobek. Rabbi Michael Skobek of JewsForJudaism.ca. JewsForJudaism.ca is the website. Boy, if you want a website that's really worth visiting, that is the one. A lot of uh, resources there, my friends. My goodness, there's so much there. And have you been, listeners, have you been to the to the YouTube channel? You need to go to the YouTube channel. There is so much available. Uh, it will keep you occupied and certainly enlighten you. Uh, it's it's uh, definitely a valuable resource. So again, thank you, my friend, for coming back on to Truth to You. So great to be here with you, and uh, wish you a Shana Tova, a great New and Year. That's that's right. There here it comes, and uh, looking forward to that in the coming days. In the meantime, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Shalom.